everyone. Welcome to the ASF Weekly Science Podcast. Today is May 11th, 2020. Happy belated Mother's Day to all those mothers out there. Fathers, you get your own day in June, so don't worry. I'll give you a shout out then. Thanks to both mothers and fathers and siblings and researchers and people across the spectrum and family members and caregivers and clinicians and anyone else listening to this podcast today. Risk factors. Let's talk about them. Yes, I use the word risk factors, even though I know it's a hot button term. These are things that increase the probability of an autism diagnosis. We know genetics is a huge influence. And environmental factors considered broadly are also very important with the biggest weight on the interaction between genes and the environment. And I'm not just talking about toxic chemicals, although those are important, but environment is really anything that can be considered not genetic. Now, this can range from chemicals, as I mentioned, diet, things like air pollution, yes, infections and illnesses during pregnancy, medical conditions, age of the parent at conception, and dozens of other things. I know that's not always an entirely popular view of environmental factors. People want to believe it's things like vaccines and toxins, but it is what it is. I will acknowledge that some of these things are probably more intertwined with genetics than others. Well, two of these are medical conditions in the parent and age of parent at conception. Why? Well, medical conditions like diabetes or obesity or even things like polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS may be influenced by genes which cause changes in metabolism and contribute to ASD and or the ASD could be downstream. There has been evidence for both. Age of parent at conception might be influenced by epigenetic marks. Those are those tags on DNA, which are not part of the DNA sequence, but do control genetic expression and are highly sensitive to environmental influences. So let's first focus on parental age, both mothers and fathers. There's been a lot of evidence from those Norland registries that collect data from Millions of people with autism and their families that say that both mother and father's age is related to having a child with ASD. Of course, mother's age was focused on first, then father's age, and then the two together. It won't surprise you to realize that mother and father's age are usually highly correlated, so the analyses can't really pull those effects apart. But there are some couples with an age gap, and that's where we get the data on whether or not it's the mother's or father's age that's influential. It takes millions of people to find this particular situation, and so that's why the Norland registries are important. Now, I'm not saying that people on 90 Day Fiancé are more likely to have a child with autism because it's a U-shaped curve. In the general population, those who are younger and older have increased rates of having a child with autism. It's something like younger than 20 and older than 35. It's been shown over and over again, and every time it's reported, it's clear that it's an increase in probability, not a definite yes or no answer. Parents over 35 are not always going to have children on the spectrum, and those who are between 20 and 35 also have children with ASD. I mean, it isn't that simple, wouldn't you? And no. But every time this information comes out, at least 10 people comment to me, Well, I was not old when I had my first child. First of all, I take exception to that. 35 is not old. So don't come at me with those comments. 
Second of all, again, causes of ASD are not as simple as one thing, but I get the point. Sometimes when a risk factor doesn't apply to you, you begin to doubt whether or not there are specific risk factors at all. Everyone thinks that when a risk factor study comes out, it should fit their keyhole 100%, and it doesn't. A new study reinforced this idea this week by pulling together data from families with an existing family history of ASD. That is, they already had a child on the spectrum, and then they have another child. Researchers asked the question, for families that already have one child on the spectrum, the chances of the next child having a diagnosis is 20%. In those 20%, how much do things like parental age matter? There was another study that did the same thing on body weight and weight gained in the mother, and I'll talk about that at the end. If there's a strong genetic component already expressed, how do environmental factors fit in? And should researchers just treat ASD as an all-or-nothing thing? What can we learn about autistic traits, even in those without a diagnosis? Because this was an amazing study that I felt answered a lot of questions, I invited the first author and lead, Kristen Lyall from Drexel University, to discuss the paper. Dr. Lyall, thank you for being on. My first question is, why look at an enriched risk cohort compared to using larger Scandinavian Norland registry type data? What does that analysis tell us? In this study, we were looking at associations and families who already had a child with autism following the younger siblings, some of whom developed autism and some of whom did not. We know from prior work that risk of autism in siblings of a child with autism is higher than what we see in the general population, and so is risk of other developmental delays. So we have better statistical power to detect associations because the outcomes are more common. But these types of studies are also interesting to consider from a genetic background standpoint, since there is some evidence that both genetic and environmental contributions may differ in families who have one child with autism versus those that have more than one child with autism. So what were the findings in that ASD enriched risk cohort? What were the effects of, say, things like cognitive or developmental scores? So in terms of the findings here in the ASCER cohort, um, we had three primary findings, which were mostly counter to expectation. The first was that we did not see observed expected increases in risk of autism or increases in autism-related traits, according to a quantitative measure, with advanced maternal or paternal age. So that's an unexpected null finding. The second is that we did see increases in autism risk and decreased cognitive scores among children of younger parents. And then the third is that we saw improved cognitive scores in children of older parents. How would you explain the difference between the previous studies on parental age using general population approach or just looking at mothers or fathers with kids that have a child with autism versus those in a high-risk group? So how do we explain these findings? Well, we have a, a couple of ideas for differences between prior work and observations here. The first possibility, speaking to our first finding of the observed lack of association with older parental age and increased autism risk, is that our study simply wasn't big enough to detect perhaps more modest associations that have been observed in other larger studies. 
Our estimates for associations between advanced maternal and paternal age and autism diagnosis were broadly consistent with those from other studies. We just had lower precision, so we didn't see significant associations. But that doesn't seem to be the main reason. Another explanation is that mechanisms may differ in multiplex families. So by definition, any family in our study in which the younger sibling had autism would be defined as a multiplex family. It could be that the relative contribution of the role of advancing parental age and the hypothesized mechanisms underlying it, such as de novo mutations, just don't contribute as much to autism risk in these families where other inherited genetics factors may be playing a larger role. Finally, it should also be noted that we're looking at associations in second or later born children, and the parental age distribution here is shifted a bit with over 40% falling in what would be considered the advanced parental age categories. And that does differ in a bit in terms of the distributions of other studies. In terms of what this all means for future studies and, and uh, gene by environment interactions uh, in autism research, I think the findings here support the importance of examining associations in both simplex and multiplex families and suggest that we might see different patterns of associations with risk factors and their interactions across these settings. We've known for some time that both genetics and environment are important in autism. And if the relative contributions of each of those may differ across different populations, that's another layer to consider. I also think that doing these sorts of comparative studies, do we see the same associations and enriched, enriched risk studies as in those drawn from the general population is really informative for advancing understanding of mechanisms. Our results here suggested that mechanisms may differ according to familial risk for autism. I also want to mention that somewhat of a similar effect, not the exact same effect, but a different way of analyzing things has been seen in children of moms with a high body mass index or those that gain a lot of weight during pregnancy. Dr. Lyle has been involved in studies looking at overweight mothers and their risk of having a child with ASD. Besides heavy weight to begin with, amount of, gain, amount of weight gained during the pregnancy is also important. When statisticians did one analysis that looked at the mother-child pairs, BMI to the risk of ASD in the offspring, there was a significant effect in the obese range. However, a matched sibling analysis where they compared siblings with ASD to those that did not have a diagnosis did not reveal the same association. So it must have been other factors contributing to ASD, including possibly shared SES, socioeconomic status, and other shared experiences. But when it comes to weight gain during pregnancy, it was seen in both analyses, suggesting this may be a stronger independent prediction than body weight, period. This was not supposed to be a podcast on older parents or bigger parents, but it was supposed to demonstrate how tricky it is to study risk factors and how using different comparison groups and analyses may explain the role of different environmental risk factors, which could be by themselves influential or those that may be co-varied with others to create a big lump of risk rather than individual risk. It's not as simple as it seems, and it's not been very easy for anyone to interpret. It's complicated. Thank you so much for listening this week. I hope you all had a wonderful Mother's Day and look forward to being hunkered down at home for one more week at least.